In other words, 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 in other words. Good morning. Welcome to Another Words. I'm your host, Susan Scher. I am so looking forward to this show today. You all know my guest. You've heard of Ugg Boots? Well, he's Ugg Boots, Brian Smith. Brian, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, I'm delighted. So, obviously, people want to hear about Ugg Boots because that's how you made your bones, if you will. That's how you became very well known. And it's also how you yeah. learned to start and run a business, isn't it? Well, it's uh, it was a process. Yeah, I, I guess I had an, an entrepreneurial gene in me somewhere because I started out in Australia as a, an accountant, like a, like a CPA. And according and, to my uh, research, as soon as you got your degree, you stopped working in the field. Yeah, I hated it. And, and I, quit <laughs> today. I, I finally graduated after 10 years. And uh, I was... You know, it's really struggling for uh, a sort of a career that I wanted to get into. And I remember one day meditating and uh, I got these goosebumps and I thought, oh, my God, all of the cool trends are coming out of California. And so I decided, you know, like examples would be Levi jeans and water beds and all the surf brands. And oh, yeah. I just decided on the spot I'm going to go to California and find the next big thing and bring it back. And uh, I, you know, within a couple of weeks, I had a ticket. I arrived in Santa Monica with my surfboard and and uh, a suitcase, and I really wanted to surf Malibu. So I spent like the first month up there at Malibu Beach surfing and making tons of friends. But I didn't find the next big thing. In the second month, I didn't find what I was looking for, and it was the third month that I uh, was meeting with a buddy to go surfing, and uh, it. He had a surfer magazine, the latest issue, and I was flicking through it, and, and bam, I got the goosebumps again because I saw a photograph of you know these legs up in front of a fireplace wearing sheepskin boots, and I went, oh my god, everyone in in Australia has some sort of sheepskin footwear, and there's none in America, and so I ended up calling the, the guy who ran the ad and said, listen, I'm in America, I'd love to stay here and distribute for you, and. So that was the birth of the UGG brand. I registered the name UGG because that was a mm-hmm. sort of common name for them in Australia. And so I started importing That them. answers one question that everyone who has UGG boots has wanted to ask. The reason why I started off with the surfing analogy is that my buddy and I were going to go into partnership with this and... He went out to all the shoe stores in California and came back with about 150 business cards and mm-hmm. not a single order. But all my friends thought it was the best idea in the world, and it finally dawned on me they all surfed. And all of the California surfers from the 60s and the 70s who went on their, their surf odyssey to Australia came back with four or five pairs of boots, so it was really well known in the surf community. And so Doug and I switched gears and we started going to surf shops. And uh, after our first month of being on the road, you know, so when we eventually raised a little bit of capital and bought 500 pairs in, we went back on the road to all these surf shops. And they go, wow, Brian, fantastic. You're going to make a fortune. But we couldn't sell them out of our store because we just sell surfboards and 
trunks. You should go to the shoe stores, you know, and this went on and on. And when Doug and I tallied up our first you know, season's shipping, we ended up shipping out 28 pairs, which totaled exactly $1,000. That was the first <laughs> year's sales of UGG. Why was it popular among surfers? Because I understand the shoe stores are saying you don't want to be surrounded by wool in California, and yet it does work. Why? Um, number one, it breathes, so you can never sweat in it. That was a big problem for Americans. Um, another one was that they thought it was too delicate and you can't get them wet. Well, you know, they're washable and you can, it's the most rugged leather and you can't rip it. It's almost indestructible. Th these were huge obstacles for Americans to accept. After surfing in the winter, you put these things on with wet feet and in 10 minutes your feet will be dry and warm. The other weird fact about sheepskin is it always keeps your foot at foot temperature. I remember when later, years and years later, we outfitted the U.S. Olympic team in Lillehammer, mm -hmm. and the coach didn't want Uggs, but the, all the team members did, all the, all the athletes did. Um, so we got to the contract to, to do it. And I remember the team doctor calling me uh, after Lillehammer. He said, Brian, I, I took a pair when they arrived here and I put them on and went and stood outside in the car park for two hours at minus 20 degrees without socks on and my feet never changed temperature. They were warm the entire time. Oh, my so gosh. Sheepskin has this amazing quality to be warm even if it's wet and to, to be able to wick moisture and also insulate. So it's just a brilliant natural product. That's incredible because I think most people get Uggs, originally anyway, A, because they are the thing to buy right. and because they like the look. I think that's really why most people at first look into the boots. Yeah, but, well, I, I, I created a great image that, that made it compelling, starting in the surf market, and mm -hmm. uh, it sort of branched out from there. How did you make it compelling? Well, it was very difficult to put them in a retail situation because people would walk in the stores and nobody would know what they are. So I created True. this little plan. They bought six pairs and stocked them. I'd give a free pair for the manager. So then when people walked in the store and said, well, what are these things? The manager would go, oh, my God, I'm wearing them. These are the best things in the world. And so that's part of what started it. But for two or three years, I couldn't get the sales past you know, $20,000 because I've been advertising with these models you know, sitting on the rocks at Wind and Sea Beach in, in La Jolla. Mm -hmm. It wasn't really taking off. And I was having a beer with one of my buddies who owned a surf shop and he called out to the back, you know, hey, you guys, come out here. What do you think of Ugg boots? And these 12, 13-year-old kids came out and said, oh, those Uggs, man, they're so fake. Have you seen those ads? Those models, they can't surf. And it hit me like a brick, and I thought, oh, my God, I'm sending, I'm sending the wrong image to my target market. So within a, a week or two, I, I'd arranged to get some of these young kids who were just about to turn pro to mm -hmm. model for me. In, instead of all the posed images, we just took walks to the famous surf breaks. And when I started running those ads, the sales went from 20000 to you know, $280,000 in one season purely because I made it cool for the young kids to wear Uggs because all these you know, young famous surfers were wearing them. Every kid at school was going, Mom, all the cool kids in school have got a pair of Ugg boots. I want some for Christmas. And that's when the mums started walking the malls 
going, you know, Tom McCann, do you have Ugg boots? No, nope, never heard of them. Nordstrom, do you have Ugg boots? No, what are they? And so we ended up building this amazing demand and eventually the next season they all came to the trade shows and bought a ton of them. And is this the point where we say, and the rest is history? No, 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 because that was, that was the surf market, right? But nobody in Minneapolis reads Surfer magazine. So, That's true. You know, and, and the, the ski market, you know, that I had to start the same campaign going in the snowboarding and skiing market. Snowboarding was just taking off there. And uh, so I had to go market by market. It was during this period that I developed my theme, which is you can't give birth to adults. And okay. I wrote the book. My book called, is called The Birth of a Brand. And it's, it's, it's structured around the fact that every, every business started with someone conceiving the idea and taking the first action, which is the birth. Right? So the birth of UG was when I bought six pairs of samples. And then every business or movement just goes into this infancy and it just lies there and it lies there. and it lies. There's no amount of feeding or jiggling the cradle or urging it. This infant cannot get up and go to college. <laughs> it has to be an infant. But eventually it'll start toddling, which for a business is cool because people are starting to take notice. You know, that eventually goes into youth, which is a great period because it's like with kids they can you know, brush their teeth, put their clothes on, sit at the table. And for a business, it's when you've got consistent orders and deliveries are, are great, the production's good, the accounting's good, customer service is working, and that's a fabulous. That's where really good businesses are and should stay. But if it is a really hot product or a really good service that you have, it'll hit the teenage phase and it will just want to be everywhere at every party in town. And you know, for Ugg, it was like people were calling from all over the country wanting to place orders. And that's a very dangerous period because it's easy to get out of control by being too big too fast. But ultimately, the, you know, all the controls get put in and it becomes a mature company. Now, I have heard that you said uh, it can be a dangerous, the youth can be dangerous if you grow too quickly. I've heard that from a lot of people. You can't grow too quickly. But people who don't understand how to build a business – that makes no sense to them. So can you explain that, please? You know, I used to think if I can just get to a million dollars in sales, I'll be done. My life will be so easy. But the bigger it becomes, the more staff you need, the more people get involved, all the expenses go up. And so just getting more sales doesn't necessarily mean you get more profitable. In many instances, it's the opposite. It gets so unwieldy that it becomes unprofitable. Now, how do you keep that from happening? Um, well, there's a couple of ways. One is to get a ton of financing up front, and then, then you can skate through a lot of the problems just because you have money in the bank. But that's mm -hmm. unrealistic for most people. Um, okay. The other thing is, is, is just keeping a really good idea on, on what the cash, cash flow is because as long as you can predict your cash flow, then you can adjust how many staff you have, you can adjust how much advertising you do, you can adjust everything based on how much capital that you have. And the other thing is, if you have a product or a service that's, if you're in the apparel business, you have seasons and you have to change and update the lines every six months and you have this you know, huge buildup of inventory and if it's a great season, you sell out, but if it's not, you're stuck with inventory that, that is tying up cash that you need to have for the next fall. So 
you know, that's that's where the problems come in with seasonality. And every, like when I was starting out for the first four years, I had to get different jobs in the summer just because I had a passion to keep the UG going, but, you know, it didn't have any money making capacity for seven or eight months of the year, so I had to get other jobs. So what stage was the business at when you sold it, and why did you sell it at that point? Well, it it got to where I had just finished a $15 million season, and my orders were up about 30%, so I knew I was going to be looking at a $20 million season. I knew I had no way of financing the production and I had a buddy from the very early days when I was selling the boots out of the back of my van. He uh, got caught up in this frenzy of outdoor products and, and you know, got sales $30, $40 million. And he went public based on that success. I happened to see Doug uh, in the baggage claim at Atlanta Airport. And I got goosebumps again and I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> It's perfect. You know, we, all these times we joked about getting together, I thought, he's the answer for me this season. I knew he was sitting on $20 million in cash, and and I walked up to him and said, hey, Doug, if ever we're going to do it, now's the time. And we had the accountants talking to each other that afternoon. Now, one thing I want to go back to, you said you had um – be at how many million? You said like 20 million, but you had to have 10 million to make the product. Is that right? Yeah, but about six to eight million to kick it off. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is something that most people from the outside don't understand when you're dealing with a product based business is yeah. that the fact that you can say these are going to sell, they're going to bring in this much money is not enough to get investors. That's right. Yeah. They would go. Well, what if it's a warm season and, this, and this, you know, the sales aren't very good? Uh, it's a very real thing. There are very big risks with a seasonal product like that. And so the investors were always a little bit skittish and jump. So it was a very difficult business to finance. That comes back to the fact that you can't give birth to adults, you know. We, right. We had to get to a certain stage where we, we had so much volume that it sort of eclipsed the downside. Okay. It took us us 12 years to get to that point. So now you're bought out. What do you do? Well, I relaxed for a while. And, uh, you know, eventually because I'm like a serial entrepreneur, I was helping people with their businesses. I I consulted to them because, you know, I I just had a lot of of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, But eventually I I got into a, a, a business that was in concrete and steel and, and, Oddly enough, I came from a construction family, so I was mixing concrete for my father's bricklayers when I was ten years old. So I knew <laughs> knew a lot about, about about concrete, and and I I ended up getting involved with a guy who who claimed he could make lightweight concrete, and and I eventually patented a system of making this lightweight concrete that still had structural strength, and I married that up with steel framing, which was uh, just automating at that time. And I got mm-hmm. into the precast concrete wall business. And I started a factory manufacturing precast walls where we'd deliver the walls to buildings uh, on trucks. And they would just put them up like a, a Lego set. And that was a fantastic business. And uh, 2008, 2009, recession hit, and all of the construction orders stopped for four years. 
And so we had to shut it down. During that downtime is when I wrote my book called The Birth of a Brand. I'd always kept a lot of notes about uh, the, the UG business, you know, because I thought, well, that'd be good in a book one day. And so, <laughs> and I wrote the book um, basically outlining all of the, you know, from day one all the way through to when I sold it. And it turned out to be a fantastic sort of handbook for any entrepreneur starting out because books all talk about leadership and profitability and bottom line and, and boards of directors and everything, but that's not the real world. I, I wanted to tell them about, you know, the, the despair of not having enough inventory and, and throwing away a million dollars worth of orders because I couldn't get the financing for the inventory. And wow. I talk about how I overcome things like that, you know, and, and, and it's, it's when I come off stage, because the book led to a lot of speaking. I do a lot of keynote speaking. Mm-hmm. And when I come off, when I come off stage, I have people come up to me going, oh, my God, Brian, I, you know, I was going to give my business up, but now I realize I'm in the infancy stage. And now you've given me new heart to carry on and keep in there. And wow. there's, a great, there's a great statement that I have in the book, which the quickest way for a tadpole to become a frog is to live every day happily as a tadpole. When it sinks in, they go, oh, my God, I'm doing all the right things but I'm just impatient. And as long as I keep doing the right things every day, then eventually this thing is going to get enough traction that it'll become a frog. If, if people could only understand that and put it into their lives, their, their lives would become a lot less pressured and uh, they'd relax and, and enjoy the ride. You know? Okay, but then how do you know when you need to push harder and when you need to just enjoy being a tadpole? Well, it, it's circumstantial. The yin and yang thing, it's never, you, know, you don't start at the bottom and go steadily to the top. You cruise along flat for a while and you hit an obstacle and you overcome it. And you cruise along on the new plateau for a while, you hit another obstacle and you overcome it. And as long as you keep overcoming it, you, you'll be growing. Your most disappointing disappointments become your greatest blessings. So I've got this mantra that I, I found in a book of philosophy, you know, in the mid-80s and I've... I wrote out four, four little statements and, and, I, and I put them in a daily planner and, I, and I've carried this piece of paper forward in my daily planner as it's in there today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's four statements. Feast upon uncertainty, fatten upon disappointment, enthuse over apparent defeat and invigorate in the presence of difficulties. And every time like the shit hits the fan with the business or whatever I'm doing, and this happens in life as well, as long as you use these mantras, instead of being a victim, you turn it into those four statements. You know, I got to the point where something would screw up and I'd go, damn it, okay, that's good. Now, what's good about it? Be surprised how often the solution you come up with is like way better than what you were doing in the first place. If a baby has no challenges, if there's no need for the baby to ever walk, or learn to talk, or any of that, then he won't. He won't grow, yeah. You only grow from the failures and overcoming them. Here's another one from my book. You ready? <laughs> i got to get this book. <laughs> to, be, to be an entrepreneur requires a certain level of ignorance. Because if you knew what was coming, you would never start. Right. right? So, oh, i got to ask you something about Ugg Boots. Got to go back to this for a second because 
um, when I, I told some people that I was going to be talking to you, and I said, what questions would you like me to ask him? And one said, how do you clean the inside? Okay, well, with the, you know, the original sheepskin boots, and I'm not saying this is, you know, some of the new styles have got such beautiful outer leather that uh, this wouldn't work, but I, I wash mine in the shower. I squirt shampoo <laughs> and fluff, fluff them up and rinse them out and let them dry in the shade, you know, and then they come back better than new. And that brings up another question. Would you have ever taken UGG into the different territory that Deckers took it into? I mean, you guys even have hats and purses now. Well, you guys. They do, yeah. yeah. No, I, I will be the first one to admit that I'm a great business starter, mm-hmm. and, and I love the, the, the disappointment and the uncertainty that we just talked about. That fires me up. I get a real kick out of that. But when it becomes a big company and it's mm-hmm. like committees and meetings and consensus, I start to lose interest. I, I'm assuming you're financially independent now. Does that make it easier? I mean, was it was it quite so easy to weather the downtimes when you weren't sure where your next paycheck was coming from? Well, that yeah, there's no doubt about money makes you know the daily living easier. Doesn't make you any happier. I got to tell you. No, that. no, but it does, it does make it yeah. Doesn't, doesn't make paying the rent easier. Um, Mm-hmm. So yes, the, the, you know, as, as it became more financially viable, it, it, life got a lot easier for me personally. But it got less enjoyable as, mm-hmm. as it got, you know, to the ten to fifteen million range. It got less enjoyable for me personally. Mm-hmm. You know, there were a lot, lot of other staff who were just coming into their their, their level of power with that. Um, but they they were the type of people who could never have started it. You know, so you know, there's some people who can run a good existing company because they're at a different level Mm -hmm. and there's other people who can start things and it's very 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 rare that it's the same one that does both it's easier for you now independently wealthy to be excited by the failures but i think the takeaway from this is it's still true even when it's not as easy to pay the rent and make expenses. It's still true that that's the exciting time and that if you keep going, you will get through it. Yeah. The takeaway is you will get through it. Yeah, as long as you don't give up. Okay, so we are almost out of time, Brian. What I, I want to uh-huh. talk a little bit about your coaching because what I noticed on your website is that you offer coaching uh, remote correct yeah well i i've dropped the word coaching i I really don't like coaching okay i i look at myself as a peer mentor and and i i'm not going to get in there and tell you you know how to make you know profitability and be a better leader and all that sort of stuff i i want to come in and work with people who are already pretty successful who are struggling with like I can't sleep at night. You know, I, I'm I'm in dread every time I go to bed because of all the challenges I have. And because I've been there and I've been, you know, I've I've, you know, had huge success in selling Arg. I've had huge disaster in losing the concrete business uh, and everything in between. And so I have just a wealth of experience of day-to-day issues that 
aren't taught in school. You, you can't learn it at Harvard Business College, you know. <laughs> but you, can only, you can only learn it from, from, you know, being on the ground. And so mm-hmm. I love to come in and mentor people who are uh, successful and are being strained by their success. And uh, they're, they're facing roadblocks because of the size of the business that they've built. And, mm-hmm. and I, I have the ability to look at these types of situations and go straight to the problem and, and the core. And, and I've found I've been very valuable helping, you know, uh, CEOs and, and uh, big entrepreneurs get mm-hmm. through those times. So, yeah, I, I, and, and I can be reached at briansmithspeaker.com uh, for coaching. And, uh, but yeah, I, I, I do spend a lot of time, you know, talking with people in the startup phase. But, mm-hmm. but I'm most, I'm most valuable for companies that are, you know, the, the, you know, five to 15, 20 million range where they're, they're still entrepreneurs and they're, they're like where I was before I sold out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sold out. Interesting term to use. Can we say sold the business? <laughs> yeah, sold the business, yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, that, that's, that's where I really shine and can bring great value. Where do I go once I get to the website? Contact me or contact us and just okay. put a query down there and send it to me and that way I can respond that way. Okay. To, to hell with strategy. You just do whatever it takes to survive <laughs> and, and throw stuff up against the wall and see if it sticks. You know, you, you can write a business plan with all the strategy in the world, but you've never gone and talked to a customer. You know, what's, what's, the point of all your, what's the point of all your strategy? It, it's, it's useless. I wouldn't get sucked into thinking that you have to finish the business plan before you start. In fact, okay. I'll say that's a, that's a, that's a negative. I, I, think, I think when you've got your idea and you want to test it, you make a couple, try and sell it. You, you, you write some software, try and sell it. If it sells, then you know you've got a business. And then you start to do the planning. Okay, but there is a line there, isn't it? I mean, you can't just go, wow, this is what I want to do and get a great idea and immediately run out and try to make it work. I mean, you have to have some kind of strategy at the beginning. That's that's exactly what I'm saying. So you're saying be willing to run straight into the wall. Yeah, yeah, try and knock it down. It'll either be a brick wall or a paper wall. You know, one you'll go straight through, the the other one will stop you. Again, this comes back to don't be afraid to fail. But fail's a funny word. Um, you'll have obstacles that you overcome, but a failure is only a failure if you give up. Everything else is an obstacle. Yeah. So I, don't, I, I, don't believe, I don't believe you can expect to fail. You, 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 if, you, if you're expecting to fail, don't go there. What's the point? No, okay, I said that wrong. Expect problems. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. so many do see that as failure. Yeah, well, they're the ones that get jobs. Yes. <laughs> so you're saying run right into that brick wall if that's what's in front of you? Yeah, hopefully it won't be bricks. It'll, it'll just be an illusion of a wall. Oh, now that's very interesting. Maybe the wall isn't really even there. Yeah, you see it I because see. all your friends are saying this is the that's wall. Right. That's right, yeah. The universe conspires to work with you, but only if you start out. If you sit on a couch <laughs> and have, have ideas and dreams, it won't work. 
Again, we've been talking with Brian Smith, creator of UGS. His website is briansmithspeaker.com. Go ahead and contact him. He will get back to you. Thank you very much, Brian. Hey, my pleasure, Susan. It's been fun. Good. And you've been listening to In Other Words. I am your host, Susan Scher. You can find me and my editing and writing business, In Other Words, at inotherwordsgroup.com. Thanks so much for joining us. Join us again. Bye-bye. In other words. In other words.